Michelle, and you're listening to Boxbox Box F1 Pod. Today we're discussing the Japanese Grand Prix, which I think might be the weirdest race I've ever seen. It was like exciting, but also anticlimactic. There was a lot of downtime, but it was also kind of action packed. Um, but we're going to jump into like everything that happened and analyze it and figure out what it all means. But first, it's time for the digital warm up. Do do do. Lap one F1 news. So Pierre Gasly is officially going to Alpine, which for me personally is kind of bittersweet because I loved Gasinoda and Yuki and Pierre together will always hold a special place in my heart. But I'm also really happy for Pierre because he gets to race for a French team, which I think uh, he's excited about. But I'm also a little alarmed that Alpine paid 10 million euros to Red Bull slash AlphaTauri to buy Pierre out of his contract, allegedly. I don't think it's been confirmed. Um, and I'm also hesitant about how the relationship between Pierre and Esteban will play out next year. Esteban posted a very wholesome post of him and Pierre's kids. And then the second picture was a selfie of them now. And the caption was like, we've been together since we were six. And I'm so excited about this next step. And like we were together when Pierre sat into a cart for the first time. And it's so exciting. It took Pierre days to like that post. And we know Pierre sees everything. <laughs> Pierre sees it all. Um, so um, I read into that way more than I probably should have. Um, but it does seem like... At least the only known information about their the reason for their fallout and their bad relationship is that it seems to stem from competition. Like, um, like Esteban had said, Pierre first tried karting via Esteban's cart, and they like live near each other, and they've known each other since they were little kids. Um, and apparently, the relationship started to deteriorate as Pierre began to outperform Esteban in karting, and that's what led to their rift, though that seems like a really extreme reaction for karting. Um, but Pierre said in an interview about him coming onto this, onto the team, is that their relationship has gotten better since they've been in F1, and that he's looking forward to next year. Um, I, I don't know. I, like, love Pierre. I trust his judgment wholeheartedly. I probably shouldn't. But, like, there must be something else. I don't believe that, like, them, like, going from best friends to being, like, you're better than me at karting lasted until their, like, mid-20s. That's insane. Um, but I guess time will tell how their relationship actually is. Esteban, for his part, seems very excited and eager, and whatever issues they have seem to be mostly coming from Pierre's side rather than Esteban's. Um, so now that Pierre is officially going to Alpine, that means his AlphaTauri seat is open and it, like, same day announcement went to Nick DeVries. He's very excited for his debut in F1. By the way, I'm pretty sure his sister's name is Seychelles, which could be my name. I'm, like, almost a Seychelles, but, like, that was just a bonkers name. Anyway, um... He's very excited to be finally getting his debut in F1. And I just, like, still can't get over, like, his interview process. Like, he accidentally drove an F1 car once and suddenly he got a spot. <laughs> like, that's wild. Um, um, I also think it's safe to assume that he'll deliver a pretty decent performance. So we kind of, like, know what to expect from him as a driver. But in terms of him as, like, a teammate um, and as a human part of a team, I really want to see how those interpersonal relationships will develop, specifically with him and Yuki. He seems like a fun, nice guy. Um, I know it took Yuki a bit of time to warm up to Pierre, and they were, like, a really nice duo. So hopefully Yuki's come more into himself, and, like, he'll sort of be the lead on the team since he's the senior team member. So maybe, um, maybe they'll be able to form a nice friendship as well, but we'll have to see. I'm, I'm fingers crossed for Yuki, though. Also, in other news, um, very Red Bull-centric episode, um, Honda is officially back in F1. Um, a little confusing because they made their official exit in, like, October of last year, so I guess a year ago, um, and, but they were still, like, unofficially in F1, um, but now they're officially back in F1 and teaming up with Red Bull again, or continuing to team up with Red Bull, but publicly now. <laughs> It's really weird. But Honda did not hold back. The Suzuka circuit circuit, the Suzuka circuit is covered in Honda signs. Just like plastered everywhere. I am shocked that the sign that ended up landing on Pierre's car was not a Honda sign. 
Should have been. Um, also, side note, I did not see Mr. Honda once. I really hope he's still with the team and that we'll see more of him next year. But he was not here this this race. Um, um, also, um, no information as of yet, but we should be getting um, the conclusion of the budget cap investigation on Monday. So we'll see how that plays out and if it has an impact on any of Red Bull's results this year or last year. Um, all right, lap two, F1 drivers take Japan. Okay, so one of my favorite videos to come out of this week was um, a clip of Yuki being asked what he recommends um, in Japan. And this was his itinerary. Use the airport bathroom because <laughs> it's very clean and you'll never be cleaner. And it's also warm and that temperature is very welcoming into Japan. <laughs> um, and then the uh, second step was to go get ramen. Or really any kind of food, but he did say ramen specifically. Um, and Pierre and Yuki also posted a clip of them singing uh, Hello by Adele at a karaoke night. And it was just peak Dasanota content. It was so great. They were just in a room like belting hello. Loved it. Um, there's been a lot of eating in Japan. Guan Yu got sushi. Charles shared a little sando with Carlos on the plane. Um, Mick posted a picture of him about to walk into what looked like a ramen shop. And I'm assuming he's going to be eating food in there. But it was just an edgy photo of him walking down an alley. <laughs> um, also, speaking of Guan Yu, Alfa Romeo posted a Q&A session with Guan Yu and Valtteri. And Valtteri has never had bubble tea. <laughs> the side eye Guan Yu gave him. Um... But it does sound like they're going to remedy that. Um, Guan Yu will introduce bubble tea to Valtteri, and Valtteri better like it. And also, suggestion at Alfa Romeo for a segment, perhaps boba in a sauna. Have you heard of anything better? Um, that should for sure be a thing. Um, also, coming up, Guan Yu is apparently going to share his boba order. And I'm assuming it's milk tea with uh with uh tapioca because that's what he kept repeating in the interview but he said he will release his official order this week it's exciting um it was also kevin magnuson's birthday he turned 30 i saw no posts of cake but i there was a video posted by haas of the whole team wishing him happy birthday for some reason half of them are like hiding behind trees or bushes when they when they do it like they peek out they're like oh hello <laughs> happy birthday kevin um it was an interesting video it was cute but i wish he got a cake um also, um, this is very random, but there was a hilarious moment that made its rounds across social media of Max at the press conference. He's sitting next to Daniel and they're like goofing off and they had like the plastic barriers in between each driver because um, they still got more, uh, they have stricter COVID restrictions in Japan than in some of the other countries we've been in. But <laughs> there's just this moment where the, 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 the moderator is talking and no one's paying attention and then Max is like, just presses his face, like squishes it against the plastic towards Daniel. And it was just a funny moment. And I just love how Max relaxes around Daniel. They're a great duo. Um, speaking of Daniel bringing the best out of everyone. Um, during the press conference, he said that he thinks it's pretty safe to assume that he will not be racing an F1 next year. Which is heartbreaking, obviously. But I do think that he seems like a lot lighter. Like... Like, it's almost a relief that, like, there's no what-if hanging. Like, he doesn't have that pressure to, like, perform for his contract anymore at McLaren. And he also, there's no, like, doubts hanging about his future. It's, like, kind of decided now, which is probably a relief, even if he desperately wants to drive an F1 and we all desperately want him to stay. Um, and there is a lot of exciting things he can do, whether he comes back in the future or not, like, there's a lot of exciting ways he can continue to contribute to F1, because for sure we need him. He can't just disappear. Um, but it's nice to see that he's kind of trying to make the most of his last year on the grid. He's, like, goofing off, having fun, just, like, a lighter Daniel again. He's no longer, like, <laughs> crying in a corner. That was such a sad period of time. Um, anyway, uh, other Japanese activities, um, after the race, not actually a Japanese activity, but it happened in Japan. Uh, the Mercedes team went bowling, um, including George, Angela, Nick DeVries, and Lewis. Um, Nick just ate pizza. It didn't look like he bowled at all. 
Lewis and George are pretty good at bowling, but George got three strikes in a row. So I'm pretty sure George is just like a bowling beast, which to be fair, he needed this win. <laughs> he's had a tough couple of weeks and he's not been coping well. So I'm glad he was able to win something. Also, Lewis, I'd like to point out, he's wearing a really cool shirt, but it says like Lewis and giant letters on it, like massive neon letters. And I know they wear their own merch a lot, but it does seem like extreme. It seems like a fashion shirt and I don't know if he's selling it, but like, I also don't know if he just personally chose to make one shirt for himself that says his name in giant letters and walk around in it. Just like for personal use, just a side. Just a side note. All right, lap three outfit of the day that sort of smoothly transitions transitions us in. In addition to his giant Lewis shirt, um, Lewis was the only one that seemed to dress up this Grand Prix. He had like 15 outfits, all of which I actually really liked. They were all really cool. But I want to actually spend this outfit of the day segment highlighting Daniel's highly anticipated cowboy inspired merch line that's set to drop this month. He's been wearing pieces of it all week and I'm like super excited for the full collection to finally launch. It seems to be both cool and extremely ridiculous and if anyone can pull cool and extremely ridiculous off, it's Daniel. So that's coming up. All right, well, that concludes our digital warm-up. On to the race rhyme. Welcome to the Japanese Grand Prix. We're eating ramen, katsu, and sushi to celebrate our food-obsessed king, Yuki. It's been three years since we've been to Japan for a fight. Will the forecasted rain excite and delight? And will the championship be decided tonight? Well, not sure about excite and delight, but the rain definitely made the Grand Prix very chaotic. Plus, with Stu making shitty choices, it's a condition that's chronic. At least there's one thing all F1 fans can agree upon. The FIA is beyond idiotic. Let's start with lap one, which is almost where we ended. We saw tons of spins, signs crashed, and onto Pierre's car an advert descended. While Pierre pitted, a safety car came out and then the race was suspended. When Pierre returned, he legit had half a sec to react to a red flag in his face before a giant tractor appeared all up in his race space. I'm sorry, but the fact that a tractor was in the middle of the track is a fucking disgrace. As is Pierre getting blamed and getting in trouble. Whatever. Now we just have to wait for no more puddles. Nick visits his friends, McLaren plays Uno, and under a tire blanket, Alpine has a cuddle. Ooh, by the way, fun fact, meet Rosa, Valtteri's pet reindeer. Because, of course he does. Okay, everyone, grab your rain gear. The race is back on. Can we get a freaking cheer? Let's highlight some epic battles before we get into the whole world champion thing. Esteban defended against Lewis's persistent attacks for 40 minutes like a defense king. And Fernando and Seb crossed the finish line almost in sync. But then Charles makes a mistake in the last corner and costs him second place. The FIA issued that penalty faster than ever before. Who knew they had such pace? So what's this mean? Is Max world champ or just winner of this race? TBH, we were all confused. Everyone was like, is he, isn't he, including Max. Finally, it's confirmed. Here's a throne room, Max. Was this here the whole time? You can relax. Max is champion of the world, and that's just facts. That's it for the Japanese Grand Prix 2022. Kind of weird we have four more races in the queue. Next is Austin. I'm excited. How about you? Okay, on to analysis. Okay, before we begin, though, a word about the time of the race. I watched at 10 p.m. my time, which I actually hated. I much prefer getting up, like, early in the morning and doing everything all at once, particularly because this went on until 1.30 in the morning and there was so much happening, I could not possibly process everything and had to rewatch everything in the morning anyway. But my personal preferences aside, um, I still get up at like 4 a.m., 4 or 5 a.m. every Sunday, every race day to watch. Online this weekend, European fans were complaining so hard about how early they had to get up. And I was like, what time could it possibly be that they're all like in a tizzy? And it was 6 a.m. <laughs> like 7 if you're in mainland Europe, but 6 a.m. is like a normal time. That's like a good day if you're in America. And then I saw a bunch of people complaining about Americans complaining about everyone else complaining. But I'm just gonna straight up, I'm just gonna say that unless you're from the Americas, Canada, South America, or from Australia, New Zealand, you can't complain. Like the entire schedule is built on European time. It is literally scheduled for your convenience. We get up at the crack of dawn every week 
and you got up at 6 a.m. once, chill. <laughs> Everyone chill. Uh, we're all very impressed by our individual and collective commitments to this sport, but it's okay. 6 a.m., it, 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 sun, the sun has already risen. <laughs> um, anyway, in terms of the actual Grand Prix, the energy and the vibes at Suzuka seemed great. Everyone was so excited, and some of the outfits that these fans wore were insane. Like, for example, everyone there loves Sebastian Vettel. Like, I don't know why. I don't know if it's his history at the track, if it's just because he's Seb, but like, this is the most Seb collective Seb love I've seen in one place. And an example is that someone wore an Aston Martin kimono. <laughs> like, they made one out of Seb's, you know, out of Seb's, like, a kit, which is wild. Um, in addition to everyone loving Seb, everyone obviously loves Yuki. He is a national treasure. Um, it's hard to not adore Yuki. He's just so sweet and so cute. Um, and also a little Yuki moment after the national anthem, um, the drivers went to greet the prime minister and Yuki gave him his race suit and like shook his hand like three times and it was just so cute and he was just like beaming up at him. Loved it. He's just such a sweet kid. All right, let's talk about quality. Nothing was that exciting about quality, but there was one incident that we should probably mention. Um, during Q3, uh, in on during Lando and Max's outlap, Max like randomly swerved into Lando, which pushed him off track. Like he didn't hit him, but like the swerve caused Lando to like go wide and off into the grass. Um, he, he later like waved to Lando an apology on the track, but um, they were both a bit peeved. <laughs> like um, Max said that his tires were super cold and um, like he just lost control momentarily. And um, then he also said that Lando really shouldn't have been there anyway. Like, you shouldn't be trying to overtake on an outlap. There's a gentleman's agreement. Lots of gentlemen's agreements, but not many gentlemen in F1. Um, and Lando said that he shouldn't be doing that no matter what. Uh, but they were summoned to see Stu. Both drivers presented their cases, although the way it's been described sounds more like a conversation. And everyone just concluded, like, it was an unfortunate situation. So Max just got a reprimand. Um, people were salty about it, as they always are when something goes well for Max. <laughs> so the top 10 after qualifying was Max in P1, followed by Charles, Carlos, Checo, Esteban, Lewis, Fernando, George, Seb, and Lando. Um, and Pierre is starting from the, uh, pit lane. He had a terrible, terrible qualifying um, and he will start from the pit lane because they decided to change his rear wing. And since the design, like the spec of the rear wing is different than the one he had for qualifying, he has to, uh, take a pit lane start. Okay, let's talk about the race. Um, so it was raining pretty heavily Sunday morning or midday, whatever time it was in Japan. Um, but there was no race delay. I suppose they didn't want a Singapore 2.0 or a Spa 2.0. So everything was basically proceeding as normally, despite it pouring. Um, at the start, Charles had a great start and almost overtakes Max, but um, so close. But by, turn, by the end of turn one, Max had regained the lead and is able to keep position. But really, really good job from Charles. He, he, he fought for that. Um, there's also great driving elsewhere along the grid. Like, Fernando did an amazing overtake on Lewis. So, like, in the first lap alone, which we didn't actually get to many more laps, but in the first lap alone, there was, like, a gajillion incidents. First of all, not rain-related, but Alex's engine failed, and so he had to DNF. Um, he stayed until the, the break, um, in the session, and did his little interview, and then immediately left for Tokyo. He didn't stay until the end of the race. Alex Albin had left the building. Um, Seb aquaplaned and had, like, wild contact with Alonzo. He spun off track. Joe Guan Yu spun. And then Carlos crashed. <laughs> Carlos's crash was terrible. Like, at first glance, it was like, oh, he just, like, rammed the wall. But, like, most F1 crashes, it's actually really, really, really bad. He, like, aquaplaned and just, like, flew into the wall at full force and was just immediately out of the race. So they um, issued a yellow flag, followed immediately by a safety car, and then not much later, like a lap maybe, uh, they put in a red flag and stopped the race. 
Um, after after the race was stopped, uh, Carl was in an interview and said that they probably shouldn't have had a standing start. And he even questioned if they should have started at all. He like was like, people love to complain about how F1 doesn't race in the wets anymore. But he's like, we don't race in the rain because it's dangerous. Like his visibility was zero. There were puddles everywhere. It was so, so, so dangerous. Um, and he's like, it's lucky that this is all that happened. And so he's like, yeah, people complain that we don't race in the wet anymore, but there's a reason why we're cautious about it. Um, and he was basically like, we shouldn't have gone out there in the first place. Okay, so the second incident, like the major incident that happened uh, during this time was kind of a result of Carlos's crash. So basically a bit of advertisement like advertising billboard from the from the wall flew off when Carl's crashed into it and basically landed on Pierre's Pierre's front wing and wouldn't come off. So Pierre had to pit to get his front wing replaced. And while he was in there, he also put on wets. When he comes back out, the safety car is already on track. Also keep in mind he like just got fresh wets, so he's going a bit faster than he would normally, but it also kind of feels slower to him. Because I guess that's kind of just the nature of wets. Like, it feels slower than it actually is. And it takes a while to, like, warm them up. And he just got off. Once he sees the red flag, which is not immediately, he has about half a second before he passes the tractor recovering Carlos's car. And Pierre loses his mind. He shouts on the radio, I could have been killed. Everyone is furious. Like, the drivers are furious. Team principals are furious. And at first, I had no idea, like, why everyone was so mad because they kept referencing something vague. Like, Alex Alvin got really awkward when he was in. He's like, we don't want to talk about that. And I was like, don't want to talk about what? Um, but finally, I realized that they're talking about Jules Bianchi. Bianchi? Bianchi. Um, Charles's godfather, who was also Pierre's friend from childhood. And we all know he died in a crash. But it turns out that he died from crashing into a recovery vehicle at the Suzuka circuit while it was pouring down rain with little visibility as, like, night was coming in. Um, at the time, the FIA took a really strong stance back in 2014, released a statement that there should never be a recovery vehicle on track, particularly in that kind of situation, and, like... That was actually why the virtual safety car was introduced into F1 was as a result of the Jules Bianchi accident, uh, death. Um, and suddenly we're seeing the exact same thing happen. Um, and Pierre is furious and everyone is furious. And um, uh, Jules Bianchi's father posted on social media, like there's zero respect for Jules's death. Like how could they let this happen again? But you know who's not furious? Weirdly, the Sky reporters and the FIA. Like, the Sky commentators are basically blaming Pierre for the incident, saying that he was speeding. The FIA issued a statement at the time saying, in relation to the recovery of the incident on lap 3, the safety car had been deployed and the race neutralized. Car 10, which had collected damage and pitted behind the safety car, was then driving at high speed to catch up to the field. As conditions were deteriorating, deteriorating the red flag was shown before Gasly passed the location of the incident where it had been damaged the previous lap okay but why was there a tractor in the middle of the track even like even if Gasly had been speeding which he had been going fast that doesn't really have anything to do with the fact that there's a tractor in the middle of the track like you're adding more potential like danger to the drivers um and Pierre was summoned to see Stu after the race and he was given two penalty points on his super license and a 20-second time penalty, which just took him from 17th to 18th. So it didn't have a huge impact on his performance today. But, like, it's kind of the principle of it. Why was he penalized for his life being put into danger? Pierre says he was following his delta time, as it was shown um, in his car. And he also had, like, half a second to react to the red flag. He also makes a valid point that it's so wet and so hard to see that it didn't actually matter how fast he was going. If he had hit the tractor, he'd be dead, no matter what the speed he was going at was. And, as we'd seen, they have little control on this track. It's wet, it's hard to see. The fact that, like, there was something in his way that he had to swerve 
from over in the last second and he had to carefully swerve because if he overswerved he could have aquaplaned and hit the tractor anyway and everyone would be dead um by everyone i mean there was later a video release from the pov of like the tractor where there was a man on the track like moving something and he had to like pop jump out of the way like if god forbid even Pierre was going like 50 miles an hour, whatever the speed is behind a safety car, um, aquaplaned and hit that man, that man would not be in good condition. <laughs> so like how the FIA can deflect to this point and how the Sky commentators can continuously say, well, he shouldn't have been speeding. Like his speeding is kind of irrelevant at this point. There should not have been a tractor on the track. If if perhaps it had been like on the grass or like way off, maybe we could have made an argument for it since that happens in other races and in other situations. But it was on track. It was in the racing line. Um, the visibility was almost zero. So like Pierre is right. The drivers are right. Everyone's right. This is unacceptable. Um, FIA also said they've launched an investigation into what happened. But like what do they need to investigate? They gave an order to the tractor. The tractor went on track. Um, and it was before all the drivers had left, which is the FIA's responsibility, not the tractors. Um, FIA needs to take responsibility, and honestly, they really shouldn't have penalized Pierre. Anyone blaming Pierre, like, in this situation is full of shit. <laughs> anyway, so, um, we got through a lap, and, um... We went into a break, waiting for the race to restart. About halfway through, they said they were restarting the race. Um, the cars were all set up. The driver's feet were all wiped, which is, by the way, my favorite part. When they, like, during wet races, when they try to get into the car, they have to lift their foot up, like the foot pop in, in Princess Diaries, you know, like the foot pop and kiss. They pop their foot so their engineer, whoever, Angela, can wipe, wipe down and then they get in the car. My favorite moment. Um, but anyway, so they do all that. They sit in the cars for about three minutes and the FIA is like, nah. And they all get back out and the suspension, race suspension is resumed. Um, they also, by the way, kept saying that the weather radars are always so accurate. There's like 10 minutes left of rain. The weather, weather radars are never accurate. They always zoom into them and it's always engineers staring like boring into them and they're never correct. Like, they said the rain will be gone in 10 minutes if we restarted, like, two hours later. Um, anyway, um, we did have a little fun during this break. We got a little, like, spa energy with drivers just, like, existing. Um, some highlights were where Mick did a little paddock tour. He hung out with Seb at Aston Martin for a bit. They even had a visit from, like, an Alfa Romeo engineer. So there was, like, a triple crossover happening. Uh, then Mick did popped over to Alpine and, like, hung out with Esteban and Fernando. Alpine tweeted a pic of them all together and tagged Haas and was like, he's here now in case you, you're looking for him which I liked. There was also like a clip of Max um, in the garage with his girlfriend Kelly and Dr. Helmut Marco showing them something on his phone. And I really like to think it's like a TikTok that somehow was relatable to both Dr. Helmut and Kelly, which is a very niche area. Um, but I, I would love to know what he was showing them. Um, also, they showed Yuki drinking Red Bull, which I did not know was allowed. I distinctly remember Valtteri saying he had worked out like a specific race day coffee regimen with his trainer so that he wasn't drinking coffee too close to racing time. So surely the same thing applies to uh, energy drinks. Couldn't he be like too jittery at the wheel? Anyway. Um, also, the McLaren engineers were playing Uno. <laughs> Always great to see. Um, and the, the fans were led in a wave by some Aston Martin engineers. Um, the Alpine engineers were all huddled together under a tire blanket. We found out Valtteri has a pet reindeer named Rosa, which is somehow so on brand and yet so weird. Um, there was also uh, some tweeting regarding the incidents. Lando tweeted, someone else tweeted how they were like outraged and everything. Speaking of um, outrage, Lou, uh, Pierre flew into the garage in like a rage, like clearly yelling about the tractor. Um, and um, I think it was all well warranted. He should have been furious. Um, and then later on, he was shown like furiously exercising, like pulling the band, the exercise bands up and down, up and down. And I guess he had like just like a lot of pent up energy to get out. Um, 
but he was the only one exercising. Um, Lewis eventually posted on his Instagram story, uh, let's get going, give it a shot, we'll know immediately if it's drivable or not. And like two minutes later, they announced the official restart. And I'm like, is Stu just sitting on Instagram while we're all waiting for them to make a decision? Is he just scrolling by and he's like, oh, Lewis thinks we should start. Should we give it a go? <sighs> Stu. Okay, let's talk about what happened at the restart. So it was a rolling start. So they did a few laps behind the safety car. And the engineers were checking in with them, like, how does it feel? How's it going? And there were a lot of mixed responses as to whether visibility was good enough to race. Um, I think it's fair to say that visibility isn't great, but it felt like it was getting going to get better rather than worse. So the race was officially on again. Um, the safety car goes into the pits and the race restarts with about 40 minutes-ish to go. Okay, so before we discuss, like, the actual race um this was like an action-packed 40 minutes and there was some really great racing and I don't want to detract from that um because we could really be here forever going over every single noteworthy moment and there were a lot there were so many great battles there were so many great moments like all across the grid but there were some like big ticket items that we need to focus on since they require extended discussion so we're going to focus on those rather than going play by play by play Okay, so earlier during the break, Christian described wets as survival tires and that they don't actually have any performance in them. And I mean, if there was ever proof of that, it was the first half of this restart. Like the first thing Max says when the safety car heads to the pit lane is that he wants to pit, but he knows he can't because if he does, he'll get stuck mid-pack and have to struggle with all the spray. So for him, it makes the most sense to stay out of out for a bit longer because as the leader, he has no spray. Um, so not everyone had that luxury. So the first two to pit were Nicholas Latifi and Seb. Of course, there's an incident. Seb and Latifi pit at the same time. And it's like a drag race out of the pit lane. Seb wins, by the way. Um, they both switched to enter, but they were both investigated for unsafe releases because they almost collided in the pit lane. But no further investigation was necessary. But it is important to note, I think, that both Seb and Nicholas Latifi had really great races with Nikki finishing in the points and Seb fighting off challenges the whole way through. So it's safe to say they definitely gained some advantage switching to intermediate so quickly. Um, a couple minutes later, Valtteri and Lando came in. Um, to pit for inters and with 35 minutes to go which is like a couple minutes later everyone came in max charles checo ocon hamilton george lance stroll pierre gasly and it was like beautiful releases like it looked almost orchestrated like i wanted the like something from swan lake to play as they're like floating in and out of their um of their pit stops but there was one unsafe release with Lance Stroll, but everyone else though, chef's kiss. Um, Mick did not pit. Um, he took a fail, a gamble which failed, um, where he decided to see if the weather would turn for the worse. So he stayed out on wets. Um, but because he didn't pit, there was a half a second where Mick led the race. It was very short lived, but it was long enough for Haas to take a screen grab, uh, and post on social media. Um, Unfortunately, that didn't work out for Mick, and eventually he pitted, but his race was kind of lost. Uh, finally, <laughs> the final final uh, comment I want to make about the pit stops was that George was really salty that he went into the pits when he did, like stacked with um, stacked with Lewis, because he said they made a massive mistake. He thinks he lost a lot of times doing that, but the team thinks he would have lost more time if he stayed out. Um, and considering. And considering how, how mixed race turned out, um, his team was probably right. <laughs> Staying out in wets would have slowed him down. Um, and then George later goes again on the radio to say that his brakes feel like they did during Singapore Quali, which honestly kind of sounds like Bro has a lot of PTSD from last week. Like, performing tragically does not agree with little George, and I really hope that Carmen's back for the U.S. Grand Prix because I'm attributing this bratty behavior to her absence. He was literally complaining all day. Nothing was sitting right with him. He was on the radio just bitching. <laughs> he needs to stop. <laughs> um, all right. One big battle that was epic was between Esteban and Lewis. They were literally 
battling each other for 40 minutes. After the race, Esteban was like, Lewis attempted to overtake me at literally every single corner of every single lap. He's like, I did not get a single second to breathe. But both of them said they had like the time of their lives and they probably, they said they probably had a lot more fun than anyone else out there. Um, but it was really good, clean racing and it was like a joy to watch. So it was probably also a joy for them to do. But I do have to say Esteban uh, succeeded in um, defending against Lewis for all 40 minutes, which is impressive. All right. The other battle sort of towards the beginning of this restart was between Charles and Max. And Charles had a pretty good first half of this race. He stuck to Max really close despite the weather conditions and no one else being able to keep like such a close tail on anyone else. Um, the commentators did make a note that that means he has like a lot of faith in Max as like a competitor, which is probably true because he knows that Max will be in control in these conditions. So he was able to like go full send. But after that pit stop, when everyone pitted, uh, and Max was able to overtake Mick, um, he did it much quicker than Charles did. So by the time Charles was back in second, Max already had a four second advantage, which just grew from then on. By the end of the race, which was about 20 minutes or so after the pit stop, Max was 28 seconds ahead of Charles. 28. Um, with, when there was like a couple minutes left to go of the race, Ma Max got on the radio and he's like, should we pit? That could be fun. He didn't say that could be fun, but it, his tone implied it. Like, he was so bored. Um, they luckily decided not to pit because um, he should just stay where he is and not risk anything. Um, but I just like that he was kind of bored up there all by himself. So, okay, let's take a quick break from Charles and his endless turmoil with Red Bull and talk quickly about the other amazing battle throughout this race, Seb and Fernando. Uh, quick aside, it seems like everyone forgot since it was literally like two hours before this, but Seb and Alonso had contact at the very beginning of the race in the first lap, but both came out okay. Um, and after the restart, Alex was, uh, Alex, Alonzo was tailing Seb, trying to overtake him and just like couldn't follow through. And there was like eight minutes left of this race. Alonzo decided to pit for fresh tires and he came out 10th, forfeiting his seventh place position. And to everyone, it seemed like his race was done, but somehow he fought his way back up to P7 in the final lap. He, he made it right back to P7 and was just tailing Seb all the way to the checkered flag to the point where they crossed the finish line 0.011 seconds apart. 0.011. They're like basically crossed at the same time. If you watch the video, they literally cross over. They were like side by side. Um, Seb kept sixth, but like what a battle from two former world champs. That felt very commentated. That I was like, two former world champs. The the Spaniard and the and, and the German fought to the very end. They're very dramatic. Um, all right. Great kudos to Seb and Fernando for their performance today. Now let's go back to possibly the most important battle and most important moment this entire Grand Prix, and that's between Charles and Checo. So for the final part of the race, Checo was closing in on Charles like the whole time, but he could never quite follow through uh, with the overtake. Um, but in the final lap, Charles and Checo's battle reached the climax, and literally in the last turn, something happened. Checo claims Charles pushed him wide. Charles didn't really claim anything, but he went wide, off track, basically, and then came back on and kept his second position. Checo quite nearly overtook him after he came back on, but Charles maintained the lead until the finish lines, which means he finished second. However, since he went off track during a potential overtake and retained his second position, second place position, this could be considered gaining a lasting advantage and was immediately noted for review by Stu. Um, and for what it's worth, and maybe I don't understand something, but I don't see how this is gaining a lasting advantage. This is keeping a lasting advantage, which is like different, isn't it? He like... Checo tried to overtake him again, and he still fended off Checo all the way to the checkered flag. So I don't actually see how how Charles gained the lasting advantage during that time when he went off. He just kept where he was. It's not like it's not like Checo overtook him at any point during that. 
Um, but apparently Mattia and I are like in the minority because Charles was issued a five second penalty after the race. Um, and later when he was interviewed, Mattia said, in the last race, meaning Singapore, they took an infinite time to decide while today a few seconds. There was no advantage gained by Charles. We will talk about it in the appropriate places, but this decision taken without even listening to drivers is unacceptable as there was no advantage gained. Today it took them a moment to give the penalty to Leclerc. Three hours in Singapore with Perez. Poor guy couldn't even follow the safety car. Two identical infractions, but different penalties. Congratulations to Max for the victory and for the championship. He drove in an excellent way. Um, yeah, I kind of agree with Mattia. I don't really see why Charles got the five-second penalty. It doesn't really make any sense to me. Um, but he got it. Okay, so let's talk about what happened post-race. So, um, Max won this race by, like, 28 seconds. He gained that advantage within, like, 27 minutes of race time which is very impressive for Max. But that's all it seemed to be at first, a race win for Max with Charles in P2 and Checo in P3. Immediately after the race, like in the middle of Checo's post-race interview, interview the FIA issued Charles a five se- the, the five-second penalty. Um, I swear this was like record time and decision-making for the FIA. Like I don't think I've ever seen them make a decision this fast. But because of this five-second penalty, Checo is now in second, not in third. Um, But once this was announced mid-Checo's interview, they basically shoved Checo aside, like, out of the way and called Max back over and were like, this means you're world champion. They got about, like, three words out of him before he was dragged away by his team to celebrate and, like, the rest of the interviews were completed after. But, um... Before I get into, like, the world champion thing, I just want to say I feel really bad for Charles, who was just standing there, and within, like, 10 seconds, he lost second position, and then lost the world championship, even though he himself said that, like, it was only a matter of time for Max, but, like, that's, like, two losses in a row within 10 seconds in front of millions of people, um, and just can't be nice. But Charles just seems so numb at this point. Like, it doesn't seem like he's processing anything. He just seems, like, completely dead on the inside. Um, so, like, basically, I just feel really bad for Charles. He's had a pretty tragic season, and he didn't deserve most of it. So, um... Anyway, let's talk about how Max is now world champion. So the big question was, how is Max officially world champion right at this moment? And the answer is because, despite the commentators repeating over and over and over that only half points would be awarded for this race, it turns out full points were awarded. Ted Kravitz was saying that after it was announced, he watched like all the head engineers scramble over to the pit wall to read the rules like very diligently and very carefully to be like, what was the interpretation that the FAA came up with this time? Not just like Red Bull, by the way. Mercedes was there also pouring over the FIA rules. But it turns out the rules state that staggered points are only applied if a race is suspended and cannot be resumed, as in it finishes under a red flag. However, since this race resumed after the red flag, it is technically a full race, despite the fact that total race distance was not completed um, but because it was resumed, uh, full points were awarded. Now, since full points were awarded, this puts Checo in second for the Drivers' Championship and gives Max a 113-point lead over him. And since there are only 112 points left to win this season, that makes Max the world champion. So naturally, the response to Max winning was a bit confused and kind of deflated because everyone was like, what? <laughs> um, and also there are four races left, so it feels a bit premature to celebrate now. And though it obviously isn't, but I wish Max could like win a world championship and celebrate appropriately without it being marred with controversy and confusion. And also everyone online being like, woo, this is his first championship. Like, just stop. <laughs> Max won last year's championship. He won this year's championship, and it's not his fault that the FAA it's not his fault what the FAA does or doesn't do. So, like, don't be a dick. He should be allowed to feel, like, the full extent of excitement and pride of what he's accomplished. Also, people who are acting at all like there's any controversy here are also being stupid. Like, the FAA didn't interpret the rules at all. That's just the rule. The only issue that we can take is with Charles's penalty, but if they hadn't issued that penalty, it would have only delayed the inevitable. We all know Max was the 22 world champion, um, so it was just honestly a matter of time. So whether Charles had gotten the five-second penalty today or not, 
Max would have won next week, you know? Um, also, the really the bigger issue here is that the FIA did not communicate their own rules well enough. Like, they heard for two and a half hours how everyone thought that this was going to be a half-point awarded race. Why didn't they let anyone know that it was actually going to be full points? Instead, they made, like, hushed rulings in their secret little stew layer and then, like, confuse everyone. And then the blame falls on Max. How the, like... A heckity heck is it Max's fault any of this happens. He's not going to turn down a championship because, like, no, Michael, no, it's so not right. Like, who would do that? He's going to take what he's given. He won under the rules that were outlined, whether before or after. <laughs> um, by the way, speaking of no, Michael, no, it's not right, Toto finally confirmed that he did in fact say Michael and not Mikey, which I thought was obvious, but also an important clarification. Also, I love that he answered this question at all. <laughs> Someone shouted at him in the middle of the road and he was like, I said Michael. Anyway, people online might be kind of a buzz about Max winning, but the drivers all congratulated him. Esteban even made a point to point out that it's Max, not just the car, not the FIA, not situations. Max is a phenomenal driver. Even Lewis congratulated Max, even though it was... It felt pretty half-hearted, but he did it. My favorite congratulations came from Fernando um, because uh, Max and Fernando are now tied in number of wins and number of championships, which is kind of cool, especially considering Max is 24. But uh, Fernando's congratulations was basically like, welcome to the two-time world championship club. Hope your luck is better than mine. <laughs> um, and when Max was interviewed after, he was asked if his emotions like are all over the place. And Max is like, yeah, yeah, but I'm like, when have Max's, when, but I'm like, when have Max's emotions ever been all over the place? He's like pretty all in on one particular emotion at a time. Like angry, Max is angry. Happy, Max is happy. Calm, Max has been calm all season long. <laughs> like, I don't think he's ever been all over the place once this year. He's always had it together. Anyway, and so in the cool down room, um, when Max first walked in, someone, I think Cheka was like, so is he world champion or not? And Max goes, not, and grins. And then a bit later, once Charles joins them, someone tells Max to go into like an adjoining room. And Max is like, what's in there? And they all like peer around the corner. And Cheka was like, it's for the world championship. It's for the world champion. And Max makes a face like, what the fuck? And goes, but I'm not, and laughs again. And then he sees someone's face off camera and goes, but I'm not, no? And the guy goes, you are. And he goes, I am? Are you sure? Because people keep telling me differently. Um, but then he walks into the room where it says world champion, like across the wall and has a really gross red armchair with white fur on it. And he gives like a little giggle, like, guess I'm world champion. And he sits in the chair for like 10 seconds. And when the screen starts showing videos of him, he pops right up and goes, I feel a bit lonely in here and rejoins the others, which to be honest, he's probably felt lonely all season. But, um, that room is like not Max's vibe. I don't know whose vibe it is, but it's not Max's. And also, has everyone been traveling with a throne room this whole time? Like the chair, the wallpaper, the, the fur, like where did it come from? Did they have it in Singapore? Were they going to have it for every race up until Max officially won? Like how prepared were they for this? Um, all right. Let's go over the results after Charles's penalty. So Max is first, followed by Checo, Charles, Esteban, Lewis, Seb, Fernando, George, Nikki, Lando, Daniel, Lance, Yuki, Kevin, Valtteri, Guan Yu, Mick, Pierre, and then Carlos and Alex DNF'd. Also, Guan Yu got the fastest lap, but since he finished 16th, he uh, did not get a point. But still, fastest lap. Way to go, Guan Yu. Um, so driver of the day is officially Seb. He did great, although I'm not entirely sure why he got it. Um, for me, like the unofficial driver of the day is Esteban. He defended against Lewis for literally 40 minutes at every single corner of every single lap. So like, good for him. He did incredible today. Dick in the box box. This is a toughie. Let's see. Was there anyone who collectively pissed every single person off over and over and over today? Oh yeah, Stu, the FIA. They single-handedly orchestrated four controversial situations today alone. Let's recap. Controversy number one, the standing start slash starting at all that 
people debated. Controversy number two, Pierre accused of speeding and penalized for it when there was a tractor on the track. Controversy number three, giving out a penalty faster than they've ever made a decision in their entire life to Charles. Controversy number four, awarding full points to this race. Some of these are explainable, but still just controversy after controversy. So anyway, Stu, FIA, y'all suck. Also, I would like to posit a new theory, the new contract curse. When someone signs a new contract, their next race is just fucked. Like, Pierre had a horrible weekend. I can't remember a single other contract announcement weekend going well for anyone. Um, so maybe Nick DeVries, <laughs> his contract weekend announcement went splendidly. Um, but I guarantee you there hasn't been a single person who signed a new contract, announced it, and then did well. <laughs> All right, so the current standings are for Drivers' Championship. It's Max with 366 points, Checo with 253, Charles with 252, George with 207, Carlos with 202, Lewis with 180, and Lando with 101. So obviously Max obviously already won the Drivers' Championship, and I know it doesn't actually matter how everyone else does other than how it impacts the constructors, but we've got several really close battles here. Checo and Charles are one point away from each other. George and Carlos are 22 points away. And that's it. But, like, how each of those drivers do will impact the Constructors' Champion uh, significantly. So, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, so, the Constructor standings are as follows. Red Bull with 619 points. Ferrari with 454. Mercedes with 387. Alpine with 143. And McLaren with 130. So, um, Red Bull has been generous enough to pretend like they haven't secured the Constructor Championship as well, even though they're 165 points ahead of Ferrari. So, the true battles are now between Ferrari and Mercedes for number two. They are 67 points apart. And between Alpine and McLaren for third in the Constructors. And they are 13 points apart. So, these last four races can have still have a huge impact on other teams and, like, how much money they get at the end of the year. Anyway, so that's it for the Japanese Grand Prix. For sure, weird one. Kind of anticlimactic. Can Max, like, win a world championship under normal circumstances so we can all be as elated as we should be? <laughs> Please? Um, next up is the U.S. Grand Prix, which I hope will coincide with Daniel's Cowboy merch line being released. Because I will be buying some. Um, anyway, please like, subscribe, review, and share the show with any potential boxes if you're enjoying yourself. Um, it will mean the world to me. Anyway, see y'all in a couple weeks. Box, box.